0: turn to Luke chapter 11 while the children are dismissed to go to the back and get taught on their level. We're grateful for those that work with them, uh, but we in here will be going to Luke chapter 11. Probably one of the most uh, familiar passages in the Bible is the Lord's Prayer. We've all probably heard it. We've all probably said it. Uh, we see people that are not even Christians or don't claim to be Christians, and they will still say the Lord's Prayer. It's a, said at funerals. It's said at difficult times, and uh, it is one that is very well-known, probably almost as uh, as well or more well-known than uh, Psalm 23. I want to look today at the Lord's Prayer and then a story that followed the Lord's Prayer and see what we can learn uh, from what Jesus has to tell us. In Luke chapter 11, verse number 1, the Bible says, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord... Teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, which, uh, When ye pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, I pray today that you would help us as we look at a a word today, some examples today from Jesus Christ here. I pray that you would help us to apply these truths to our life. In Jesus' name, amen. It, It begins by telling us here that the disciples observed the Lord as he engaged in prayer. Now, it was Jesus praying that motivated their desire to pray as well. I'd like to ask if you would just think today about your own prayer life. Who do you motivate? Who do you inspire by your prayer life? I hope that it does. But can you imagine watching Jesus pray? He must have been something to see as he is communing with his Father. And it, was so, much, it so much impressed them that they wanted to do it like he did. And so it's interesting. They did not tell him to teach us how to pray. They told him to teach us to pray. And they wanted to learn to do it like he did it. And so they said, John taught his disciples. Talking about John the Baptist. uh, He taught his disciples. And we'd like you to teach us to pray as well. Now this is the sixth time out of seven in the book of Luke that we see Jesus praying. The next time will be in Gethsemane. We're familiar with that one. And uh, the Lord uh, Jesus Christ, he knew what was in store for him. He knew what was ahead. And so he prayed. If Jesus prayed... How much more do you and I need to pray? Amen? We need to constantly be in prayer. And the disciples knew this. And so they came to Jesus and they said, Lord, you need to teach us to pray like you're praying. We want to pray like that as well. Uh, Jesus responded to his disciples immediately. Can I tell you, God likes to answer that type of prayer. When they said, teach us to pray. He's much more concerned about that than he is about, Lord, please let me get this promotion. Uh, now, we ought to pray about those things as well. But God's more concerned about your character than He is about your circumstances. And so He uh, quickly answered this prayer. Now, He'd already given them the one that we're more familiar with in, in Matthew 6, 9-13, uh, the Lord's Prayer uh, that's mostly quoted. He's given us that pattern of prayer there. But now He's recapping it for us here in Luke chapter 11. And I want to just break it down, if we can, uh, before we actually get to the story that he gave them, and so we can get a good idea of what Jesus is telling us here. He begins by uh, the words, our Father. When we pray, we need to remember the Father's person. He said, uh, he begins, our Father. Now, we're looking here at a prayer that is prayed by a child of God. We're going to assume that if you're praying this prayer, you're a child of God. Can I tell you today, friend, that if you have not been saved, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, He's not your Father. The Bible tells us very clearly in Romans 8 9, Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And I'm not saying that to be mean. I'm not saying that to discourage you, because that can change before you leave this building today. But we need to make sure we understand who this is written to. This is a child of God. Prayer is a God-centered activity. It lifts our thoughts and hearts to God Himself. We do not pray to nature. We do not pray to an idol. We do not pray to a man. We pray to God Himself. He begins, Our Father. Not like the city council meeting in Lake uh, Worth. Uh, it was a city commission meeting they had on December of 2014. And an atheist opened it in prayer. He prayed to Allah and Thor and Zeus. Uh, We don't pray to those. We pray to God Almighty. We pray to the creator of the heavens and the earth. We pray to the one who made you, shaped you, formed you, and has a future for you, if you'll just listen to what he has to say. The all-powerful, all-knowing God himself. But, knowing that, hopefully we understand that, what we tend to do sometimes is we view God as some cold, distant, far-off entity that watches us with a furrowed brow in everything that we do. We see him as maybe aloof. I asked my son to help me out, Micah, if you'll come forward for a second really quick here, uh, just to give you a, a visual illustration here. He's so excited when I call him up. Uh, this is Micah. Uh, most, uh, all, most of you know him. This is my buddy. This is, uh, we do a lot of stuff together, don't we, Micah? Aren't you glad you're up here? That's good, Micah. Micah is desperately seeking for a girlfriend. So, right? So, uh, if you know if you know a girl with really low expectations, weak sense of smell, Micah's your man. Okay, all right. We tend to look sometimes at the Heavenly Father relationship. More like a judge and a defense table. We're at the defense table. He's the judge judging us for our sin. Jesus began our father, our dad, this type of relationship. Hey, I love Micah. He loves me. Not right now he doesn't love me so much, but he loves me most of the time, right? We have a great relationship. The Bible says in 1 John 3, 1, Behold what manner of love the Father bestowed upon us called us the sons of God. We're his children. He loves us, he loves you, more than you love your own children. Loves them more than, than you can possibly love your own children. Thank you, Mike, you can sit down. The Bible says in Matthew 7, 11, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? He loves you. See, Jesus begins... Our Father. He's your Father. He's not... Now, He is your judge, obviously. He's, also, you know, he's a lot of things, and He is holy and all those things, but he lo- He's not some cold, distant deity. He loves you. He loves you so much that He sent His only Son to die for you on a cross for your sins. He loves you. He's your Father. Don't look at Him differently. Jesus said when you pray, begin, our Father. What a relationship, what a great thing. When you pray, remember the father's person. We also need to remember the father's place. He says, "Our Father, which art in heaven." Now, heaven is a real place, just like Brookings, South Dakota is a real place. It exists today, it'll exist for all eternity. Jesus came from there, and when his days on earth were complete, he went back there again. The Lord would have a, he by the way sits on the right hand of the throne of God right now, Hebrews chapter 13. And that's where he is. The Lord would have us in our life focus on heavenly things. Now, it only makes sense because eternity is very long. Our life is very short in comparison. And so why would we focus on something that's very short when we're facing something that's very long? So he would have us focus on heavenly things. If we do that, we will pray differently. Matthew 6, 20, we will pray for heavenly treasure rather than earthly treasure. Uh, Matthew seven twenty one. We will focus on God's will for us rather than our own will. Uh, Matthew twenty six forty one. We will focus on uh, uh, on avoiding temptation. Second Corinthians four eighteen. We'll focus on the eternal things, not temporal things. I am simply saying, if we have heaven on our mind instead of earth on our mind, we'll make better prayer requests. We'll pray better. Why were the heroes in Hebrews 11? You read that chapter, great, great men, uh, heroes of the faith, and, and a couple of women in there as well, uh, great uh, heroes of the faith. Why were they so successful? I think the key is found in verse 16 of Hebrews 11. But now they desire a better country, whose builder and maker is God. I have lost, oh, uh, that is in heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. They they desired a better country than what they were in. So we focus on the Father's person. We focus on the Father's place. We also ought need to remember the Father's purity. Look what it says next. Hallowed be thy name. Hey, God is holy. God exalts his name. Psalm 111 verse 9. The Bible says holy and reverend is his name. By the way, God takes note of those who blaspheme his name. One of the commandments is thou shalt not take the Lord thy God's name In vain. And so that is an important thing for us to remember. Exodus chapter 20, verse 7 is that verse. As we approach God's throne in prayer, let us remember who we're talking to. We're coming to the creator of the universe, the almighty, all-knowing, all-knowledgeable God uh, who loves us enough to listen to us. Isn't that a blessing? It's a blessing. I called... Well, I didn't, but let's just say I did. call the White House yesterday and asked for the president, I wouldn't get through, but I can call the creator of the universe and I get through every single time. It's a blessing, isn't it? We need to remember the Father's purity. We also uh, are to remember the Father's purposes. Uh, thy kingdom come, he said, thy will be done as in heaven, so in earth. It has always been God's purpose to establish a glorious, righteous kingdom here on earth. In fact, he created Adam and Eve and he created them, they were perfect, they were innocent, they were without sin. In fact, they, went, uh, they were completely naked because there was innocence. There was no, there was no sin, there was, there was nothing that existed like that, and so uh, they, they had, were to have dominion. Sadly, Adam and Eve sinned. They surrendered their sovereignty to Satan. So now we live in a world that is cursed by sin and death. I've heard the question often, if God is a God of love, then why is there so much suffering in the world today? Why do children get sick? Why is there disease? Well, listen, friend, God never intended for that to happen. God never created a world like that. We created that world when we chose to sin. And in fact, because we are now born in a sin-cursed condition, he goes so far as to even though we're the ones that messed up, he went to Calvary to pay for that mess up. And saves us anyway. He defeated sin. And he defeated death there at Calvary. God's kingdom purposes have not been canceled. They've only been delayed for a while. So we continue to pray. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth. As it is in heaven. And it will. One of these days. In the meantime we're to do all we can. To win people to Christ. uh, To bring them to the saving knowledge. Of the Lord Jesus Christ. How many today. How many today, Christians, even in this building, we say the words, thy kingdom come, but we live the life, my kingdom come. We need to always keep this in mind. Thy kingdom come. We see the Father's person, the Father's place, the Father's purity, the Father's purposes. We're also to remember the Father's provision. He says, give us this day our daily bread. There is to be bread for today as there was manna, day by day for Israel. You remember if you go back in the Old Testament when God provided them manna, they were not to go out and collect enough for today and tomorrow, just for today. In fact, if they collected some for tomorrow, it would rot, it would go bad. And so they got daily bread. This is what we're to pray for as well. Uh, We're advised to pray for our current needs, not necessarily for vast wealth or a large stockpile for a long time. Whether we like it or not, we live our lives one day at a time. There's a great verse in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8. Uh, Remove far from me vanity and lies. Neither give me poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. How many of you have ever prayed the prayer, whatever you do, God, don't make me rich. <laughs> That's what that verse says. Oh, There's nothing wrong with wealth. There's nothing wrong with making plans as long as we keep God in the picture. Amen? The Bible says in James 4.13, Go to now ye that say, Today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain, whereas ye know not what tomorrow may bring, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little while and then vanisheth away. That's all your life is. It's here and it's gone. Life is a vapor. It's so short. You can plan, but God can change those plans. How many would say, along with me, uh, that there, you remember a time in your life when God changed your plans? He can do so. We need to depend on Him. Trust in Him. Give us this day our daily bread. Deuteronomy 33:25, "As thy days as thy days so shall thy strength be. The Father's person, the Father's place, the Father's purity, the Father's purpose, the Father's provision, and then we're to remember the Father's pardon. He said, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. That is not to say, if you promise to forgive, you'll be forgiven. We here preach from the Word of God an unconditional salvation. There is nothing that you can do to earn your salvation. If No matter how hard you tried, you could not do enough good works to take yourself to heaven. You could not do enough good to outdo your bad. Uh, just as you could not do good to get rid of cancer because it is not uh, a behavioral problem, this problem of sin, it is a condition. And so behavior cannot fix a non-behavioral problem just as, you know, I've got cancer, but I'm going to be really good and it'll go away. You know, that's not connected. It's a condition. So we're born with this sin condition and Grace is what saves us, for uh, we believe in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but is His mercy He has saved us. He saves us through His mercy, His grace. Salvation is a gift to the guilty, not a reward to the righteous. Remember that. Always remember that. That said, once a person is saved, though, then uh, he, and he's received God's grace into his life, he's indwelt by the Spirit of God, Can I say forgiveness is expected by him? We, as part of the family of God, cannot expect forgiveness while harboring unforgiveness for others. Read about a a man who was bitten by a rabid dog. And a friend found him writing, writing frantically on a piece of paper. And his friend said, listen, he said, rabies can be treated. You don't have to Write out a will. It can be treated. And he said, will? What will? I'm making a list of people I want to bite. Now, if you made a list like that, we probably all could put some names on it, couldn't we? We are to forgive. Remember the Spirit of Christ who forgives the undeserving. Can we do any less? When you forgive, you set two people free. One of them is yourself. Forgive, were to remember the Father's pardon. Forgiveness sometimes requires repeating. Luke chapter 17, verse 4, the Bible says this verse, this is a tough verse. Sometimes you read those verses and, ooh, they're hard to stomach. Well, here's one of them. And if he trespass against thee seven times a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee saying, I repent, or I'm sorry, thou shalt forgive him. Thou shalt forgive, thou shalt forgive him. What are we talking about here? Stop and think about that just for a second. Seven times somebody does you wrong in a single day. They say, I'm sorry. You're to forgive him. What if your friend yelled at you, cussed you out, got all mad at you, and you had a big fight, and they mistreated you verbally? They called, said, I'm sorry. you got to forgive them. Then you run into an acquaintance. This is all on the same day. Just after that call, you run into an acquaintance and you find that the same friend had told them all kinds of terrible things about you. Things that weren't even true. Some of the things that were out of context. that were uh, just horrible gossip she had unloaded about you to this person. So you call that friend back. Did you say such and such? Oh, I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? You forgive them. Well, next you discover that this friend lied to you about something very important. Same friend. Same morning, you find out that she lied to you about something that was very important. You call you, again, you say, Did you say this? Did you say that? Oh, yes, I did. I'm so sorry. And you forgive them. It's only 11 o'clock in the morning, so you're kind of uh, beat by it now, and you just think, I'm going to go on Facebook and just relax for a little bit. It's always a problem when you go to Facebook to relax. And there you find a vicious post. By this same friend who is again demeaning you and disparaging you. You call him up, what is going on? Oh, that's right, I'm so sorry. I will take it off right away. Friend, you're not even halfway done yet. We're, not to, we're only to number four. Jesus said seven times. You forgive over and over. That's hard. That's intense. That's difficult to do that. We're to forgive. Oh my. You say that's too much to ask. Uh, This goes against our nature. It goes against our thinking. But can I tell you today, Jesus has showed us a pattern of how to do it when He did it for you. How many times a day do you have to ask forgiveness from the Lord? How many times a day has Jesus forgiven you? And He forgives and he forgives, and you mess up, and he forgives again, and you mess up again, and he forgives again, and he forgives, and somebody does you wrong. Bless God, I can't forgive them. How dare we? Jesus showed us how to forgive. How can we not forgive them? Forgiveness is also permanent, or it should be. Psalm 103, verse 12, As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. <laughs> what a blessing of a verse. Hey, if the devil comes to you about your past mistakes or your past sin that you've already taken to Calvary, send him east. And if he comes back, send him west. Amen? Because that's where our sins are as far as the east is from the west. Hebrews 10.17, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. We may be a- not be able to mentally, we can't unremember stuff. We can't to remove it from our memory, but we can behave as if we have forgotten it was years, I mean, years, since husband made a mistake, uh, a certain mistake, and his, uh, really offended his wife. It was a big deal, and, and uh, they, they had a big uh, uh, argument about it, and uh, she was very bitter and very angry, and then she finally forgave him. He apologized, and they made up. But from time to time, she brings it up, reminds him of what he did. Finally, one day he said, honey, why do you keep bringing that up? You told me that it was forgiven and forgotten. And she said this, it is. I just don't want you to forget that I have forgiven and forgotten. That's not real forgiveness. We don't bring it up over and over. Perhaps all of us have experienced the problem of forgiving someone because it's so hard to let something go. The Bible says, and their sins and their iniquities, I will remember no more. For a time, I thought and probably said from the pulpit that God forgets. Well, God can't forget because he's all-knowing. If he unknows something, he's not all-knowing. And so that's not really what I believe that means. The word remember here, uh, the original word is manah. It means to be mindful of. God's forgiveness means that he, does, he chooses not to be mindful of our sins. He chooses not to remember them. Forgiveness, friend, is a choice that you make. It's not a mood. It's not a feeling. It's not a passing phase. It is a choice that you make. Forgiveness means we choose not to remember the offense. Forgiveness means we choose not to dwell on those things. Many of you know Corey ten Boom, a Holocaust survivor. Uh, She was an author and and, a very influential person. She was wronged by some Christian friends at one point in her life, and she got very angry about it and for a while was embittered, and then finally she forgave them. But she would wake up sometimes thinking about what they did, and then she'd get angry all over again. And then she was reminded of a church tower and a bell she heard one morning and realized that when the bell, the bell was rung, when the rope is pulled, you pull the rope and the bell will toll out its ringing. And she thought about that for a moment and thought, the only time the bell is making a sound is when the rope is being pulled. If you don't pull the rope again, then the sound fades away and the bell is silent. Corey Ten Boom writes in her book, Forgiveness is Like That. When we forgive someone... We take our hand off the rope. We don't pull it anymore. We don't, uh, we don't, uh, when we pull on our grievances or we pull on our injustices, and we have them, amen? We have them. Of course we'll be angry, but take your hand off the rope. Forgive. It's easier said than done, but we must do it. Jesus did it for us. And then, number C here forgiveness is unmerited. Forgiveness is unmerited. Jesus forgave us, but He did not forgive us because we deserve it. Uh, he, we did not forgive us because we earned it. He forgave us because He earned it on our behalf. We're called on to forgive as Christ forgave. Colossians 3, 14, or thirteen, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave, so also do you. That's tough duty. It's tough duty to forgive, as Christ forgave. Jesus, in, in our text here says, "And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. In other words, we will forgive others, Lord, because you forgave us. That's what we need to do, but they don't deserve it. You're right. They don't deserve it. Neither did you, and neither did I. But Jesus forgave us anyway. Forgiveness avoids vengeance. Jesus was our ultimate example in not seeking vengeance. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2.23, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to, to him that judgeth righteously. Little boy was sitting on a park bench, and he's just a squirming. Man walking by noticed something was wrong, and he asked him what's going on, and the boy said, I'm sitting on a bumblebee. And the man said, you're sitting on a bumblebee. Isn't he stinging you? Oh yes, he's stinging me well, why don't you get up? He said, I figure I'm hurting him more than he's hurting me. And some of us, we handle forgiveness like that boy. We endure the pain. We believe we're hurting the offender more than they're hurting us. Can I just tell you, get off the bench. Just forgive. If we retaliate against injustice out of anger or bitterness, even though our cause is just. And by the way, I'm coming today from the idea that our cause is just. We do have a reason. We have been wrong. But if we come, uh, even though our cause is just, if we retaliate uh, and we don't forgive, we are not acting righteously. God will not bless our efforts. James 1.20, For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Forgiveness will prevent vengeance. Next, forgiveness prevents vengeance. Bitterness. It's been said that uh, bitterness is like drinking poison to hurt someone else. How many of us have fallen victim to bitterness? The Lord warns us in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. How much better our relationships would be if we could just forgive, forgive. And so Jesus said, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. All right, finally, to the, in the Lord's Prayer, we saw the Father's person. We saw the Father's place and purity, purposes, provision, pardon. Finally, we look at the Father's protection. He says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Oh, friend, do we not need protection from evil? The evil of our flesh, the evil one himself, Satan, uh, when a child of God falls into evil, not only will they be hurt themselves, he or she tremendously damaged, but they will hurt others as well. It will sully their testimony, it dishonors the Father, it leads other people astray. Jesus knew exactly what he's talking about here when he says, Lead us not into temptation. In Matthew chapter 4, the Bible records for us how Jesus himself was tempted of the devil. And it was a torment. After a 40-day fast, Satan came and tempted him. And one of the temptations was food after he had fasted 40 days and nights. Oh, it was a brutal temptation. Thank God Jesus prevailed as he did in his whole life. Hebrews 4.15 tells us, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Hallelujah. Hallelujah for that. By the way, deliver us from evil does not refer to trials, but to transgressions. This is not a prayer to be kept from suffering. It's a prayer to be kept from sin. It's a, we need to pray in our life more about our character than we do about our circumstances. So, getting to our story. Jesus kind of wraps this up by telling his disciples a story here that I want to read you. It's a story with vivid details and a great message. In this text, we come to what is probably the most important word in the entire Bible concerning prayer. I want to show it to you. This word is only mentioned one time in the whole Bible. You say, preacher, the most important word about prayer is only mentioned once. Yep, only one time. The principle, the concept is found all throughout the Bible. The closest verse to this word without actually using the word is found in James 5.16. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Let me tell you, friend, if you adopt this word into your prayer life, I promise you it will change your prayer life. Maybe today you are in an absolutely impossible situation. You need this word. Let's read starting at verse number 5. We're still in Luke chapter 11. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go to him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves? For a friend of mine in his journey is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not. The door is shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, Though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, Get that? He doesn't give it to him because he's his friend. Yet because of his, here it is, importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needed. Years ago, a preacher uh, named Bill Rudd preached on prayer, and he made a statement. He said, never let your prayers be hazy, crazy, or lazy. Never let your prayers be hazy, crazy, or Or lazy. Don't let your prayers be hazy. Philippians 4, 6. Be careful for nothing but everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Many people do not get answers to their prayers because they're too hazy. God, please bless our family. God, please be with the missionaries. Listen, God wants specific prayers, amen? We need to pray specific. Nothing wrong with praying for the missionaries generally, but we need to be at specific. God answers specific requests. Just bless me this Christmas. We get model number, we get color, we get size, we get where it's at, we get everything. And by the way, that's what I want when I ask them. I do want specifics. I want to know what I'm saying no to, amen? I want to know that. Do you have a need today? Be specific. Don't be hazy. Secondly, don't let your prayers be crazy. James 4.3, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. Some prayers are specific, but they're crazy or out of the will of God. We ought to always pray ending our prayers if it be your will. Sometimes you find uh, if your prayers are off the mark that God changes your heart in the process, amen. And then don't let your prayers be lazy. That's where we come to our text tonight, or this morning. Look at what it says in verse five. Friend, lend me three loaves. By the way, what was it not? Hazy, specific. I need three loaves. And verse 8 is the point I want to make. He won't give it to you because he's your friend, but because of his importunity. The Greek word for importunity literally means shameless. I like one preacher's definition of importunity, helpless, urgent consistency. As I said a minute ago, there's only one time the word is found in the Bible, but there's great examples, and I want to show you one in closing here, Matthew chapter 15, if you would. Matthew chapter 15. This is a great example of importunity. Matthew 15, the Bible says in verse number 21, Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coasts of Tyre and Sidon. Now, as far as I know, in the entire ministry of Jesus, there's no record that he ever left Israel except right here. This is the one time that we see him do it. Why? Why? Well, we're going to find a mother praying with importunity. God will go far to answer prayers of importunity. We see that all throughout the Bible. But now look at verse number 21, or verse 22. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. The Bible then says in verse 23, kind of surprisingly, but he answered her, not a word. How rude. He came all this way to deal with this lady, yet he answered her, not a word. Jesus wanted to answer her prayer, so why doesn't he answer her? Even the disciples, look at what the Bible says. The disciples, verse 23, came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. His, they wanted to send her away. Verse 23 Uh, or reading on in verse 24, but he answered and said, I am not sent but into the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So he's moving now. Finally, he does answer her. And then he basically says, you're not the right race for me to help. It's our Lord talking here. And notice her response in verse 25. Then came she and worshiped him saying, Lord, help me. (laughs) You see what I see there? Helplessness. This is an element of importunity, helpless, urgent consistency. We see all of these in her prayer. You have to help me. I can't do anything for myself. Without your help, I can't help my daughter. You are my only hope. Sometimes we've got to get helpless to get help. Amen. Then Jesus said the unimaginable here, verse 26. It is not meet or appropriate to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. That's right, your Savior calls this woman a dog. It's amazing to see her response in verse 27. She says truth. In other words, you're right. She recognized who she was. Uh, and then she says, I'll just take some crumbs. Even the dogs get to take uh, feast on the crumbs that fall off the master's table. I'll just take, can I tell you today, friend, that the crumbs from the Lord's table are better than the riches the world has to offer? She recognized that? Verse 27. I think we see the true meaning of the word importunity, shamelessness, when she says, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from the master's table. This woman had importunity there's helplessness there's an urgency there's a consistency then look at verse number 28 Jesus did what he wanted to do all along he answered her prayer why because Jesus loves prayers of importunity keep at it keep praying now this in our text in in uh, Luke 11 this is not to say the Lord is hesitant to answer our prayers and we just need to keep praying but we do just need to keep praying amen God wants to answer our prayers, but He loves importunity. If a bad neighbor will yield to the force of importunity in which he hates, in that which he hates, how much more will a righteous God answer importunity in that which he loves? Importunity. Perhaps there's someone here today, and you've got a situation. You've got a problem. Maybe it's in your health, maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's at your job. You've got a problem and you, you haven't been able to find an answer from God. Can I encourage you to keep praying with importunity? If we inserted importunity into our prayers, we would revolutionize our prayer life. Importunity. Don't stop praying. Don't stop asking. Don't stop being faithful like this woman. Nothing Jesus said could divert her from her course to going after him for help because that's the only help that she had. Importunity. God honors it. What about you today, friend? How's your prayer life been? Do you need in your life some importunity? The the helpless, urgent consistency of prayer. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. I don't know today where the Lord has found you or what he's spoken to your heart about, but maybe you're here this morning and you say, Preacher, I'm not...